Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. We are three film and television writers who are here to talk about how to make it as professional writers in the entertainment industry. This podcast covers what we wish we'd known when we were getting started. You can learn the easy way what we learn the hard way. I'm Hannah Rosner. I mostly write for television. I'm Jess Cho. I also mostly write for television. And I'm Erica Schreiber. I mostly write features. And I am so excited to introduce our very special guest for today, Lindsay Calhoun Brink, who I've known a really long time. Lindsay uh, was a longtime Hollywood assistant working in production and in the writer's room before earning a spot in the 2017-2018 Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Following the workshop, she staffed on the Netflix series Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, where she wrote on all four seasons. In 2020, she sold Pretty Little Liars Original Sin to HBO Max with Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. Woohoo! Welcome, Lindsay! Hi! I'm so excited! Thank you! Thanks for having me! Of course! But we, of course, have an ulterior motive for bringing you on, which is we would really love to hear about partnering with a showrunner, because this is something that a lot of writers have to make decisions about at some point uh, in their careers, if they are very lucky, and uh, you've just gone through this. So, hooray! But... Before we dive into that, you want to tell us maybe a, a little bit about your origin story, you know, how you broke into writing for TV, anything you want to tell us about how you got here? Well, well breaking in uh, to the writer's room as, uh, and getting hired as a TV writer is exactly how I thought it would go. I just, <laughs> I arrived to Los Angeles and there were just people waiting for me um, with, with job offers. Uh, there was, that's so that's funny. I, that happened to me too. Is that what? This is what happens to everybody. Do they that's bring you I champagne? Because they brought me champagne. <laughs> no, I, but that is how I, that's how I learned what a bidding war was because there was a real fight over me. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't, have you ever written anything yet? It was just like, no. who wants Lindsay's uh, first thing? They were like, we heard you wrote a Will and Grace spec in college and we are so ready for what you have to offer it was a longer road than that a true origin story i grew up in georgia i was very much raised by the television set uh but i just had no idea that this was an actual job that you could become a television writer like this was something that you could pursue and could do you know i think that there were really kind of three things that lent themselves to this path to me kind of going west and and wanting to break into TV writing. And it's I, I went to this uh, this a school, this university, Valdosta State University. Uh, it was a, a small school on the Georgia, Florida border. And again, I studied theater, but I was always more into extracurriculars than my classes. Um, uh, so I was I always kind of felt like such an underdog. And there was this kind of um, independent theater company within the school called ITP, which stood for Immediate Theater Project. And uh, it was kind of this like ragtag group of those of us who weren't getting cast in the shows we wanted. So it was like, we just we'll write our own plays. We'll produce them. We'll direct them. We'll star in them. And not knowing it then, but that sort of taught me a lot about producing and what it, what it means to sort of get a show up on its legs in sort of a small scale way. I was also very into comedy. I was an improviser uh, for my school's improv troupe. And I continued that when I ultimately moved to L.A. And I will say, I don't think anything has prepared me more for a writer's room than improv. Looking back now, Hannah, did you do improv as well? I did. Yeah. And I know exactly what you mean. Once you start having to pitch in a writer's room, if you've done improv before, you're like, oh, this 
this paralyzing fear that I'm like stepping onto a ledge and just leaping off and have <laughs> feel like anything could go wrong, but I just have to handle it. That's like improv. And it's the same when you're in a writer's room. Totally for sure. And, and I, and it's like, Oh, those skills are so like, it's about pitching into the idea. It's so, it is yes. Ending it is. Uh, if, if you can sort of, I feel like if you go to an improv show, you're expecting people to be funny. If you can not be funny in front of a crowd, you can not land a pitch and it's okay. You can pick yourself back up again. It's no big deal. So I feel like that was such a strong like building block for me. And then I also, um, the last thing was I had taken this playwriting class and through that class at my school, I had met uh, an alum from my university. Her name was Deborah Fordham. And, uh, at the time she was a television writer and she was writing on the show Scrubs and she came to visit our school cause she was writing a play for the school to put on. And I remember I was so starstruck by meeting someone who lived in Los Angeles and was a TV writer, was a professional writer and worked on a TV show. And also it just solidified for me like, oh, this is a, there is a path to this and you can pursue that dream even if you went to a small university and didn't have an Ivy League education, even if you come from a small town, even if you don't have any connections. And I thought, wow, this this woman paved her own way. And that for me was like, ooh, that's a path. I need to go west. That's where the at the time, it's like that's where the TV shows are made. They're made in LA. But then when I got to LA, unfortunately it wasn't the, you know, tick the ticker tape parade I was expecting. I didn't have connections. I didn't know what I was doing. As you three will understand and maybe many of your listeners, I moved in the year 2008, which was a tough, tough year for the world and uh, and a tough year for writers because of the writer strike. So I I came out at a time to um, hopefully, you know, be a PA, work on a show. And there was just nothing. I, I, I couldn't get a job. I spent a year kind of just doing whatever jobs I could, um, working at restaurants. I like pre Groupon living social. I like, I was that person in a target who would run up to you with a spa package and try to sell it to you like on the street. Like I worked in like warehouses doing calls. So I was just trying to like keep my head above water until I met um, an amazing writer named Emily Fox, who is still a a friend and mentor to me. And and she was looking for a personal assistant because she was developing her own material. She was coming off of writing on Ghost Whisperer. And she was pregnant and she was kind of like, I'm just looking for anything from someone who can just go pick up diapers for me or pick up lunch and coffee, but can also just sit down with me and force me to write. Like I I need a security guard. I need an attendant to just make me write. She was amazing. Her husband is a writer as well. I learned so much. And um, with her, I sort of helped her develop this pilot called Hindsight, which is which is part of this conversation because it comes up later. Um, but then after after our time together, I kind of spent a year with her and she was developing, I think, three pilots. She was uh, doing a rewrite of a movie. And ultimately, she sold one of the pilots, but it didn't go. Um, she sold the script, but it didn't uh, get made. Uh, which was a heartbreak because, you know, I thought like, oh, gosh, if, the pi- if her show goes, obviously a bigger heartbreak for Emily. That's her baby. But for me, it was like, oh, man, if the show goes, maybe I can like get on the payroll picking up coffee for real for like a show. Didn't go. We kind of we parted ways professionally, but not personally. And um, then I, I guess I was just street smart and naive enough to just 
go to like a newspaper stand and I picked up Below the Line magazine and I just started calling all the studios asking them if their shows needed PAs and I like literally faxed Warner Brothers my resume like and but through through that I ended up getting PA jobs being a line producer's assistant I was a production office coordinator I worked in animation I was a key set PA I, I kind of worked in every department in television except the writer's room I wanted to get in there so badly, but I, I don't know if you all feel this way. I I almost feel that it, it it's just as difficult, if not more difficult, to land a writer's assistant job than a writer job. I say that all the time. I, I think it's absolutely true. Let's say a show has eight to ten writers. That same show only has one writer's assistant. So it's it's just, it's a tough thing to break into. It took me like five years of working in TV in various departments. I learned a lot. Some of the best things I learned was working for a line producer named Ken Ornstein. I worked in multicam. I wanted to be a comedy writer at the time. Um, I had a lot of comedy samples. Uh, again, these are all kind of building blocks I didn't realize at the time really helped me where I am now. I'm so glad I spent that time working for a line producer and working in production because that helped me so much when I got to set. And then it wasn't where I wanted to be. Emily, this amazing writer, five years later, called me up and was like, hey, remember that pilot you helped me with? Hindsight, it landed on an executive's desk. VH1 wants to make it. Do you want to come be my writer's assistant? It was so amazing. So that was kind of my first way to just get in a writer's room and, and take notes and learn that skill, which was invaluable. And then, of course, you know, the heartbreak came of uh, a cancellation, of course. I worked in four rooms as a writer's assistant, and it was sort of a, a either the first season cancellation or the last season of a TV show. It was just kind of heartbreak after heartbreak. And I had this moment where I had like a dark night of the soul that I think we all have me like 10 years into my LA experience, which was, okay, I'm, I either need to like move and do something else, or I just need to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. That's when I decided I was going to, I'm going to apply for every workshop. I'm going to write new material. I'm going to send it out to agents. I'm going to look for more jobs in the industry. Like what haven't I done? Uh, and just really kind of committed myself. And so I think this was like tw uh, around 2016, 2017, I had uh, submitted to the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop as a comedy writer. I was a finalist, which Hannah, you know, Ooh. well, is, is mm -hmm. you know, breaking through quite a few writers. And um, Hannah will also know that uh, it's a bit tougher just math wise, numbers wise to get in as a comedy writer. If, if they take eight to 10 writers, usually one to two of them as a comedy writer. Because they just don't make as many comedies. It's like it's it really comes down to the math of the studio and. They have a lot more dramas on the air. So six drama writers, two comedy writers. There you go. Eight people out of however many thousand that apply every year. Totally. I, I was so like, uh, but I'm I'm a comedy writer. I did improv. I'm a comedy writer. I love comedy, which I still I lo still love comedy. But it, I when I had my meeting with a comedy exec, they um, I got called back and uh, they were like, hey, we want you to come back and meet with a drama exec. And I was like, oh, interesting. They're like, what else you got? And I was like, oh, I have this feature. But like all of my samples were comedy samples at the time. I didn't really have drama samples. I met with a drama exec. She too was like, you know, I think you could be a, a drama writer. I ultimately didn't get in that year. 
Um, and Rebecca Windsor, who runs the workshop now at the time, um, then it was Chris Mack and Rebecca. She called me and said, you know, you didn't get in this time, but I really want to encourage you to come back. And I think you should try us as drama. And at the time, by the way, the night I got that call, I was a writer's assistant on this show frequency for, um, the CW, uh, which was a wonderful experience working in that room. And it was the same. I got the call to step out of a a screening party for the pilot in which I was like running the, twi- the like Twitter account for the room. So I had to step step out, learn I didn't get in, step back in. Everyone was like, did you get it? And I was like, uh-uh. And then I just like oh. t- tweeted. I had tickets to a Cindy Lauper oh concert God. that night. I like sat and cried. It was, a, it was horrible. It was a blow. And at the time you're like, oh God, well, that sucks. And, you know, they're also telling me that I'm not the writer that I thought I was. What does that mean about me? And I was like, you know, this is like a fork in the road. This is either a like, I'm annoyed by this. I'm not going to take the suggestion or in the spirit of throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Let me be honest with myself. The shows I'm watching right now are dramas. Like what I grew up on, my bread and butter, like when I tell you I was raised by the television set, I was raised by Fresh Prince, I was raised by Wonder Years, I was raised by the original Roseanne. Like those were the things I thought I wanted to write because those were so where my life lessons came from. But then as I grew older, it's like my favorite show is Buffy. My, my, you know, my favorite J.J. Abrams property is Felicity. (laughs) Like these are, these are the, I'm connecting with coming of age. I'm connecting with hour long dramas about young people. Like Maybe I should be writing that. So I took that kind of year and I started refocusing and, and writing dramas. And then I applied and I got in. And that's how I met Hannah. Yeah. You were her mentor, right? I was Hannah's mentor. She was the best mentor. I just, I felt, I almost felt guilty because some of the, <laughs> no shade to anyone else in the program because they're, they're actually all amazing people. But I was like, I got the best one though. Like she's so (laughs) nice and so encouraging and like helpful and funny and cool. And I was always like, no, no big deal. I just have the best mentor. That's all I'm saying. So you were, you were amazing. I was like, Hannah's a star. She doesn't even need me. So let's just, um, get, get drinks and get food and just have fun. But that, yeah, just as far as, sorry, my, my long origin story, uh, getting uh, into the workshop that led to me, uh, getting staffed on chilling adventures of Sabrina with Roberto, um, who of course I developed this project with now so I'm I'm so thankful and so indebted to the workshop and and, and really thankful for the the long road it took to get here because I it really was kind of a time of just building blocks and and um, learning and helping me with where I'm at now and I'm I'm so grateful that you shared this that you shared your full origin story maybe in hindsight were they wrong turns or were they opportunities you know like even the way that you're talking about it is so good to hear because a lot of times I mean if we had just said your bio, and then talked about your show and how you <laughs> created this TV show that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. People might just think, oh, man, like she just got lucky. She just moved to L.A. and all of a sudden she was staffed. And, you know, like we so rarely hear the hard parts. I don't think people understand that it really does not happen overnight. It takes a lot of all that, <laughs> all of these things that we've all been through. I feel like the amazing thing about uh, being a writer and also the d- difficult thing is that there is not one path. 
Uh, so when people ask, like, how do you break into this? It's like, oh, that's a long question to answer because my story is very different from another person's story who maybe they, maybe they did show up to LA. Maybe they just had an incredible script. The timing was right. They met someone and they got an agent right away and got hired. Like, I know, I know those friends who have done that. I have a friend who's just a very talented person and scrappy and is just amazing at pitching himself and has sold his own show to Netflix without like any really much behind him like everybody's story is just so different so there's no one path to do it but yeah this one was, this one was winding and there was much more heartbreak between but I, I and at the time everything feels like the worst thing ever but then it's like ooh, those things were good like I so believe in the law of averages I believe that like um you know if you collect enough no's you'll get the yes and even not getting in in comedy it's like ooh, I'm so glad I didn't because I'd had gotten in that year I don't know what show I would have ended up on but it definitely Definitely wouldn't have been chilling the adventures of Sabrina. I wouldn't have connected with Roberto. I don't think I would have been a stronger writer in that field as I, as I hope I am in this one. So yeah, I think those, those wrong turns, maybe they're not wrong. Like you're saying. I also just want to point out the irony that you were living in Georgia and were like, I need to get to LA so that I can <laughs> work in production on television. And now here we are 12 years later, or 14 years later, and everything is shot in Georgia and nothing is shot in LA. My husband, John's a writer as well. And it's like, honey, we got to move to Georgia to go where right. the TV is. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's so funny and true. So before we get into how the Pretty Little Liars of it all happened, you want to tell us a little bit about what it was like to work with Roberto as a writer on, on Sabrina? It's no surprise. I love uh, working with Roberto, but I also loved working for Roberto. And, um, it's funny. I, I always wanted to work for Roberto that, uh, when I was on frequency, as I told you guys, as a writer's assistant, um, we were coming out at the same time as Riverdale. I got my hands on that script just because I loved reading pilot scripts. I loved that script so much. I thought it was so fun. I loved that it was so a murder mystery. It felt stylish on the page. And when I went to Comic-Con for my show, I kind of slipped into the Riverdale panel to watch to watch there. And by the way, I loved my show and I wish that show had continued. But I, I, as a fan, just wanted to slip in and see it. And so I saw him on this panel and I watched the pilot and I just was so blown away. I thought it was so beautiful. It was like one of the most, if not the most stylish YA pilots I'd ever seen without being too creepy about it. It's like, I got to work. I got to work for that guy. Uh, then he came to speak to us, uh, our class in the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. And I was like, Ooh, I gotta work for this guy. Like he, this guy doesn't know it yet. It's like, but we're, I am, I'm deeply in love and it's happening whether he, whether he wants it or not. This is full, full, full writer fatal attraction. I will, I will boil all the bunnies to work for this man. And I, I was a fan of his as well with his comic book writing. I loved Afterlife with Archie. I loved obviously Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, and I was told like, Ooh, chilling adventures won't happen. The writer's room is already full, but through miracles, I was able to kind of, to get a meeting and, and work with him. But the meeting with him was great. Uh, he, we just kind of got along and, and had fun. And I remember kind of laughing through it. And I remember leaving thinking like, gosh, if I don't get that, that's okay. But like, what a great meeting. I'm so glad I met him. And, and when I got it, I just felt like I won the lottery. 
And it was, as I mentioned, my favorite show had been Buffy. And it's like, oof, I want to write that, like a coming of age story about a girl with powers and love horror. And I've always been a horror fan. So is Roberto. So we connected about that. And um, so Sabrina was just kind of everything as far as far as like what I mean about maybe I, I wouldn't have been as good a writer on a different project. Like this show just felt like uh, it, it, that was obviously Roberto's baby. But I was like, ooh, this show feels so catered to my sensibilities and what I want to write and what I want to pitch on. And uh, what was so great about Roberto at the time, which totally feeds into us developing this show together, is there's no such thing for him, I think, as a hierarchy in the room. There's no such thing. Like, there are those showrunners who, you know, staff writers are to be seen and not heard, which I've never understood that logic. That's called a waste of money. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's like, what an expensive way to assert power over someone, assert your dominance. Like, the joke's on you. Um, He's so not that. He's so, like, best idea wins. Like, he wants you all talking. He, I feel like he empowers you in that way. And um, I just always felt like it was a safe space to, to just pick and pitch crazy ideas and I learned like sometimes the crazier the better and even if it's not right it gets us talking so I also I think maybe this was something that was this was instilled in me as a person I'm a bit of a workhorse but also you know something from the workshop was you know when you get this opportunity because you've worked so hard for this like do everything volunteer for everything and so having put in that 10 years it's like if someone wants to write the cards I'll write the cards and and hey does someone I remember one day Roberto had come to the room and asked if someone wanted to like cover his episode it was like his finale um or his premiere and I was nervous about volunteering for it because in my mind I was a staff writer I was low on the totem pole I'd been on set a lot but you know he doesn't know my history really uh but I I went and I volunteered as tribute and he sent me the fact that he trusted me to do that that empowered me and I learned so much and then I remember there was one day and and he called me into his office and I was like oh my god like it's something like I got called the principal's office and he said and he said Lindsay no good deed goes unpunished we go back to set for this episode and I was like I was like amazing so um I just loved working working for him I have so much respect for him I loved watching his mind work and the way that he breaks story and and plot and you know story is so queen and um I I love that and learned so much but I also loved working for someone who didn't see a title um but just who saw some Someone who was working hard and and brought something to the table. So it was an amazing experience. And and again, like Sabrina for me, just I love I love that show. I will find I find myself rewatching episodes of the show. I'm I actually it's nice to be a fan of the show that you write on, which maybe isn't always the case. But so I feel very lucky so far. So do you want to tell us a little bit about this new show, Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin? I'm so excited. I, sure. I really enjoyed the first, the original, and I'm like. I'm in for this. Same here. Same here. No, I know. We're, we're so excited. Well, speaking of the original, uh, we we like to say that um, Pretty Little Liars' original sin exists in the same universe as the original. Everything in that amazing show happened. Uh, we just say, you know, we're two towns over. I would say that we're a multi-generational mystery drama horror show um, about a group of five teen girls who are pushed together and form a beautiful friendship 
uh, as they are being terrorized by a masked villain, a masked slasher villain who is punishing them for the sins of their mothers. And um, those sins, of course, are one of our big mysteries of the season. Lindsay, your story is so incredible and amazing. You know, what was the process of crafting the pitch with uh, an upper level writer, like someone like Roberto and pitching it? Because it feels like you're, you might have taken more of the reins on this or did you sort of follow his lead? How did that that work. Eric, I think at the top, you, you had mentioned like, you know, the importance of partnering up with an upper level and like, how did I choose Roberto? I didn't choose Roberto. Roberto chose me. I'm, I'm so lucky for how this is, how this has worked out. But, um, the process of, of this is, um, uh, I guess I, I could mention, um, how it came to be a little bit, which is R- Roberto, um, obviously has a, has an overall deal with Warner Brothers. And uh, at the time when I was in the Sabrina room, I think it was towards the end of our run and our last part of the show, he had Riverdale, Sabrina, Katie Keene all going at the same time. I don't know how he does this, but he does it amazingly. And he'd, he'd gone to each of his writers' rooms because he'd had a conversation with Warner Brothers about his next development project. And they had they'd suggested a take on the PLL property, which obviously is a Warner Brothers property. And Roberto, I think, was like, yeah, that'd be great. But as as he's expanding and as he has more shows on the air, he wanted a partner. He was looking for a female partner, I think, given that this is such a, um, uh, a female-led show and franchise, which is amazing. And he had sort of pitched this to each of his writers' rooms, as I understand it. Like, hey, if anyone has any thoughts or wants to pitch me, let me know. And I remember, again, in the Sabrina room, he'd, he'd sort of brought that in and and everyone kind of was like hands down like st- like like scribbling in notebooks just in a way of like ooh i don't know if i ha- if i you know have that or or what to do and i just felt this kind of like i guess this like go getterness or like ooh i think i want to i think i want to pitch him but but in my mind again i'm a staff writer like is this so brazen of me to go to this pretty prolific showrunner and say i got an idea <laughs> like i want to pi- i want to pitch this with you the motto of this episode is be brave raisin and it makes me so happy it's good you know i have a, I had a friend in that that room who was like fortune favors the bold and i was like okay i guess i guess so but I, I felt this kind of fire in my belly about it and again it was like wanting it was wanting to work with roberto i was like oh i would love just for someone who wants to learn so much like the opportunity to develop something with a showrunner is just incredible and i, I have a very good friend and producer matt barry who was a writer on sabrina who is just incredible and also just a it was a great room i loved everybody in that room I love that show. Um, I, uh, I wish it would come back. <laughs> which is, um, but Matt Berry is uh, a wonderful person. And, and he was like, Lindsay, you need to go pitch him. You ha- do you have an idea? And I was like, I do have an idea. And he said, you need to knock on that door. I'm telling you, it's what you need to do. Trust me, I wouldn't tell you to do that. I'm not making you walk into like a crazy situation. He's not setting you up for some elaborate prank. Exactly. It's like, you're, I'm not setting you up for embarrassment. I am pushing you towards something. And he was so right. And again, just to speak to Roberto being, a, a, I think, the exception and not the rule, When I knocked on his door, he didn't close it. He opened it and said, come in, of course. Like, I want to hear your idea. And so I kind of just put together like a one pager, you know, what I, 
what I thought of just kind of pitching him broad strokes idea of, of what I thought it could be. And, you know, I, I laugh about this with him now. And I was like, I knew how I could get you on the hook, Roberto, <laughs> making this a horror show and making it a slasher show. <laughs> because I knew your love of horror and my love of horror too. And I, and I knew you hadn't yet done a slasher show. Um, and he was like, yep. So the angle was kind of, you know, keeping that concept of A, but um, making A into like a Jason Voorhees, a Michael Myers, a slasher villain, something, someone really scary um, going after the girls. And the other thing that I kind of pitched was making this multi-generational, making this about the sins of the mothers falling upon the child, which I think is a very sort of horror story. It's very Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, the Elm Street children are being punished for the sins of their parents. So it, it was pretty broad stroke at the time. I think when I came into I think I had the idea to try to use like the original characters and do a time jump. And, you know, we had a big conversation about just making it fresh, making it new, creating a new world and characters. And after talking with him, Roberto was excited enough that he said, you know what? let's do this. If you want to do this, let's develop this together. I'm going to call Warner Brothers. I'm going to pitch them your take and our take on this. And why don't you get going and and start coming up with characters, start coming up with ideas. And that was so exciting to me. Um, It was thrilling. You're not just being nice. You weren't saying, come in, like I'm a nice enough person to hear you out and, and kindly tell you to leave as I go speak to someone who's, you know, more experienced with development. You, he was excited to do this with me, which was so, again, empowering. I think that's important. I think encouragement is the best, right? That I think that's going to, I think that's going to make you do your best work as opposed to discouragement, which makes you feel shitty. So, um, having that encouragement that, that was, by the way, that was like summer 2019. I think that was July, 2019. We were still working on Sabrina and, um, we were kind of slow because he had three shows running. This was kind of back burner. You know, I was coming up with ideas. We were talking about them, chatting about them. And I have to bring up our producer on our show who runs Roberto's company, Muckleman, Jimmy Gibbons, who is wonderful and was invaluable to our pitch and to the show. And it it really became the three of us working on this pitch together. Cut to March 2020. Oh, I hate cutting to March 2020. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. An upsetting smash too, I should say. Jump scare to March 2020, we were all shut down. So uh, we didn't know the fate of Sabrina ultimately got canceled. You know, I think many show Roberto was working on a pilot that was amazing. The Brides that I think was one of, you know, many, many casualties of um, many show casualties of the pandemic, among everything else horrible happening in the world. Uh, but I think we had time on our hands. We were all forced to be home. And so this show truly was the definition of a pandemic show we developed sold wrote produced it all in the pandemic but but it was a lot of just zooming with roberto and zooming with roberto and jimmy really digging into these characters fleshing them out digging deeper digging into the story writing this pitch together um rehearsing this pitch together jimmy put a visual presentation together for us which was amazing and I have to say it was it was some of the most fun I had. Like it it gave me something 
joyous to do and hope for in a, in a really hard time and a dark time with a lot of uncertainty and not knowing when I'd work again. Development, as I think maybe we all know, is the writer definition of development is it's a whole lot of unpaid work <laughs> unless you sell it, right? It's like, oh, you could be working on this for years. It could not sell. And then it just, it's nothing. But I just found so much joy in it, learning how to craft a pitch. The rehearsing of it was amazing. Like we, we really rehearsed it like a show. We performed the pitch. We wrote our pitch with lines, like a script. It was like Roberto, his lines, Lindsay, my lines. Um, and I loved that we did that. We uh, He has such like a great energy, so I'd match his energy. And I will say I loved pitching it over Zoom. It's kind of awesome, right? Like Amazing. You, you don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to stress about parking. I don't know. And you can have your notes up so easily. Like, yes. I, I I really like pitching over Zoom. Like, there is a certain energy that can't exactly be captured, but, like, I'm with you. I haven't had the experience of, uh, other than, like, meetings um, or staffing meetings or generals, I haven't had the experience of pitching in an actual room to executives, you know, bringing in, a like, a, a cassette player and playing play on music. <laughs> like, which, by the way, in my mind, it's, like, pitch, it's, like, straight out of working girl. It's, like, you show up with a cassette tape. You, like, play. It's flash dance you play your song you get oh, on the floor i've been doing it wrong the whole time I'm yeah like, this is flash dance. <laughs> have not had that experience and i was actually kind of bummed i was like man we got to do it this way like i want to roll up in there and like what whatever you're supposed to wear to like an amazing song and do the thing zoom was amazing it was like you're comfortable you're on your home turf as you said like you have your notes up like i just read off my notes on the computer jimmy again like put together this incredible uh, visual presentation that he ran for us that he could share over Zoom. So everyone was following along to that as we were guiding him through the script. And it was just so fun. And, and it was a lot of like, you know, really digging into the story, as I said. And I remember one of the kind of special parts of, um, and a learning part, but the special part of, of the pitch for me was, we had really rehearsed the hell out of our story, our characters. We felt really good. And Roberto asked me this question one day, and I always like to have an answer. And I hate if I don't have it. That's just the like good student in me. Um, but Roberto said, Lindsay, what is this show really about? And I was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I hate that uh, question. How dare you? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about friendship and uh, it's, it's feminist and it's scary. And Roberto was like, uh-huh. So just take take a minute and think about what the show is really about and kind of search your soul and let's really talk about it. And I did that and I kind of took a little time and I guess I got really fueled by the time we were in, by the year we were in, by everything that was happening. And I just was so mad. And uh, I remember just kind of like it dawning on me that this is a coming of rage show. That's great. That's so good. It's like, I feel like I'm coming of rage right now. Yeah. <laughs> These girls are raging against the systems that have failed them, against the people that have failed them. They have no one but each other. I started thinking about, you know, we, we tackle a lot, of th- a lot of darker themes, but I think very real themes to young women specifically in our show. And I started thinking about all of my experiences 
experiences as a young woman in high school that upset me, the things that fueled me. And I just wrote it down. And I remember Roberto and Jimmy called me and they were like, this is it. We're ready to pitch it. And it was so, and, but again, it was so that like support and specialness and like that, like I'm pushing you to get out of your comfort zone and really think about this and, and, you know, write like, write this like a diary. Like that. I always, I always feel like if it, if it feels personal and uncomfortable and like, Ooh, what will people think when they hear it? That's probably right. Um, and that'll probably connect. So, uh, that was the moment I was like, I think we're ready. I, I believe in it. The three of us were, you know, a team and the first place we pitched was HBO max, obviously because of their, um, you know, their sister is, is Warner brothers. And, uh, we really crafted the pitch for them to be cable, to be streaming, to be dark, which was really exciting and kind of freeing to write the pitch. So we we pitched them first. Uh, we we weren't sure, you know, especially this having been my literal first pitch. It could have gone any which way, and uh, very lucky for for us. And it, excitedly, they loved it and were so excited about it. And they didn't quite bite in the room, though. There was this sort of like. it's almost it almost felt like it was everything but it was like amazing we'll be right back to you guys like okay we're gonna it's like oh is that like what people just say in these things again I hadn't done this before uh Roberto felt very confident that they loved it so we got a call soon after um that they wanted to to make it to direct a series and that was uh I think that was September 2020 that was fall fall of 2020 and then from there it was just off to the races so I'm curious. So like you've been very really clear about your relationship with Roberto and your your tasks in the in the, the pitch part of it. So like now you got bought. Hooray. What did your duties become? What how did your relationship with Roberto evolve at that starting at this point? I think the interesting thing for me and it it was a mindset that it took me a while to click out of and and into which was I had gone from working for Roberto to now working with Roberto and, you know, having Roberto been my boss to Roberto being my partner. And, you know, there's still that feeling of like, Ooh, I want to, I want to make boss happy. I know what makes boss happy, but also like, Ooh, but I need to learn and just have the confidence to share with Roberto, like, Oh, this is what I'm looking for too. And, uh, and I think we really, we've really found our way to a, a, a really strong partnership of, you know, me realizing like, Oh, it's okay. If we don't always like, we're, we're mostly aligned, which is amazing. Like we have a pretty, a pretty solid hive mind, which is great. But of course we're not, it's like, it's, it's like a marriage, like any other, of course, like sometimes you're going to have honest conversations. Sometimes you're not going to see eye to eye. And so our policy early on was we were just like, we'll just talk about it. Like we have to have honest conversations. If I see the story going this way, you see the story going that way. If, if I don't like the way this is happening and you, you like the way this is happening, we just have to talk about it. So we kind of had early conversations just to, to find our way to a, a good, a good, honest partnership. And it really was, I mean, it literally is like a marriage. It really was just like communication is key. Um, let's just always talk about our feelings and talk about the show. But at the end of the day, the thing was, I knew that we were both on the same team always. We'd always locked arms. He was always supportive of me and I was a, a supportive of him. And it is always about what's best for the show. And that's a, that was a lesson, lesson too, of like, this isn't about my ego 
ego. This isn't about my idea being the one. It's about what's best for the show. Is this pitch the best thing for the baby that we just made? Is this pitch feed the baby the best? Obviously, so many things go into a show before day one of a writer's room. It's like everything from where are we shooting the show to, you know, we need to hire department heads. The sets don't just build themselves. We need to cast the show. The writer's room, we need to hire writers, which I which I will say being on the other side of it is um, you may not believe this. If, if developing the show brought me so much joy and I found so much love in it, staffing the show was harrowing to me. It was upsetting in that way that I am now someone who could make or break someone's opportunity or dream. And it's and it's like heartbreaking. It's like, ooh, I really like all these people. But I also realize, oh, being on the other side of this, I don't have full autonomy. I I don't get to just decide everybody who's in the room. And and for us too, it's like Roberto doesn't even like you still have to push it through your production company, your studio, your network. Like these are big conversations, business affairs, titles, money. So uh that was sort of an illuminating situation. And um, you know, that it's like you get a show, of course. All your friends who are writers are reaching out to you. You want to help everybody. There were friends who I wrote with who you want to help, but but then it's like, okay, again, your responsibilities to the show. What's best for the show? Who's right for the show? We only have ten episodes. We probably can't have fifteen writers. What are the stories we're telling? We're we're telling. You know, it's like, uh, who are the people who have the best stories that connect with these characters? Whose samples connect the best with these characters? No matter how much I love someone, are they the best thing for the show? So that was a responsibility that I did not take lightly, and and really took it out of me. Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, you know, Roberto, someone too who I, learning from him you know he's a showrunner who cares about everything that's on the screen and that goes back to me think to me loving Riverdale so much and Sabrina so much and Katie Keene so much who, who he created that show with Michael Grossi and that show is beautiful it's it's not just about what's on the page it's about the wallpaper on the walls it's about the socks that the cast is wearing it's about the 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 DP's vision the director's vision their style like he's really in everything I mean we we approve the knives and four in people's hands when they're having dinner and and that part is a is a lot of work uh it is tedious and it is so right and rewarding though when you watch the scene and you're like gosh this scene is style and substance and this isn't about budget if we if like we really think that like Sabrina's should wear the iconic black headband. Like that's so stylish. Like that, you know, that doesn't cost anything. That just adds so much to her and her character. So there's not anything on the screen in our show that we didn't talk about, have a meeting about and approve. I'm going to be staring at these forks now. I've worked on shows where, where some showrunners are like, eh, that, like, you know, my focus is is just the writing or, my, or, or I'm a showrunner whose focus is mostly production. And I like to have other writers run the writer's room, but Roberto's really all encompassing and so I think I've 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 definitely become that way too. I think it helps us it helps us really shape the vision. Now that you've had all of this experience under your belt, is there anything you wish you'd known about the process when you were getting started? I always knew it would be a lot of work, obviously. Um, I think many showrunners, uh, Roberto included, uh, rightfully like shield the room from a lot of all of the hard things that happen behind the scenes that you don't really hear about. And uh, knowing up front, like, ooh, I think the biggest part of my job is actually going to be managing personalities and people. 
And I remember there was a moment where I was talking to my husband and I just said, oh, I really miss writing. And I just <laughs> was like, oh, not to say we didn't do a lot of writing. Like we had, and we had a wonderful like writer's room. Our writers were so lovely, like amazing. We all worked uh, so hard to make this show. I love everybody. One thing of what I learned is, you know, our show kept, again, we were a pandemic show. Our show kept pushing. Originally we wanted writers, we wanted writers to produce on set. Um, our show kept pushing and pushing so that our writer's room ended by the time we were shooting. I have learned that I think it is very difficult to not have writers producing their episodes on set. I don't know Um, how shows do it. I really don't, having been on set. Very, very, very hard. And uh, I I learned, like, I can't split myself. Um, Luckily, we did have, obviously, I had Roberto, our executive producer, Michael Grassi, who was wonderful, stayed on. He helped. He would tag in from time to time. One of our writers, Danielle Iman Williams, who's now writing on Riverdale, who was just a star and a hero she she came out and covered an episode I got hurt on set which was a bummer she she came out and and helped me which was amazing but yeah I think like if I had my druthers I would really push for writers producing their episodes you can't really prep for the next episode if you're producing an episode um it's hard to like step in and out of the scene if you want to be involved in the edit as I was which I love our post team and I loved being in post that was a revelation to me was I love the editing process so much I can't do that unless I do it late at night after we're done shooting. And then and then we also have rewrites to do because we don't have our writers with us anymore, because, but we still have these notes we have to address. And so I would beat myself up over not being able to split into three or four. And, and now I, I've kind of learned like, it's okay. Like you have to just embrace your one person. I ask for help when you need it. I think that's something I probably didn't do as much. And I think maybe I would feel... Um, better about doing if we were lucky enough to get a season two but and I think now especially in in these pandemic times where where fewer people are going to set I do kind of sense a trend and see a trend and and hear a trend of of writers coming up in the ranks at producer level and beyond who have never been on a set and have never produced an episode and uh, that I think is just doing a disservice to that writer but also it's just such a team sport and it's so helpful to have that support to have somebody there on the ground who you can trust who can reach out to you for what you need while you're on the, while you're on the 20 calls that day and in post and and reading the next draft of the next script it's just such a help i second that and just to rant about it for a second um, i always i always get the sense that people are like oh it's a it's a privilege for the writers and it's like so it's like a field trip or something it's like no this is actually like so helpful to the entire process to have, you know, somebody who represents the vision of the show and the showrunner's brain, but has more time than the showrunner who is doing a million other things and can actually be there on the ground to deal with issues as they come up. It saves so much time in post, like, oh, we messed this thing up because we didn't understand the subtext of the scene or we didn't understand the intention. And so we got this prop wrong or we did this. It's for the show. It's not like, oh, yay, writer, you get to go to set. It's going to be fun. It's actually really helpful to the show. So I so agree with everything you're saying. And I- I'm also look, I-, I feel like I am a writer first above all else. I know I know Roberto feels the same, too. I think his like his all of his handles on Instagram or and everything 
thing is like writer RAS. And I'm like, yeah, you're a writer. One, I kind of believe that nobody knows the episode. Nobody knows the show more than the writer who created, like no one knows that subtext. Like you're talking about, like no one's been in a part of those conversations about all the backstories like the writer has who can really help and inform that. And to your point, Hannah, it's not a field trip. It's work. Like when you, when you go produce an episode it's hard. It's, it's, I, I, by the way, I'm, I'm certainly not comparing it to watching our a team of grips, right? And to right, right. watching our <laughs> yeah, amazing working very camera hard. department and of course, like the entire crew and our hair and makeup department who are up with our, by the way, our cast who's in the chair at 4.42 a.m. when I don't have to roll up there until seven, you know, like everyone is doing an amazing killer, exhaustive job all for the same goal of, of making making this show and this movie and this art because we love it and we're passionate about it. But for the writer too, it is work. It's not a field trip. You know, you're up, you're up with the pages, you're, you're rewriting, you're sometimes doing things on the fly, which is so stressful and scary. You're uh, thinking ahead to the next scene. It, it really is a job. I learned so much because Roberto allowed me to go get so much experience on the Sabrina set that was invaluable. And without that, I would have not felt confident to be producing this show at all. How and when can we watch the show? On HBO Max. We would love you to watch it. Well, I'm super, super excited. It's going to be amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lindsay. That was amazing. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Untitled Female, and you can connect with us there, or you can email us at UntitledFemaleDrivenPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you would like for us to talk about. Again, thank you so much, Lindsay. It's been such a pleasure having you here, and can't wait to watch the show. Bye. 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 <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. Nailed it. <laughs>